0: Good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord. We've got a full house this morning. Um, you can make it easier for those still coming in if there's room to the center of your aisle and you move. That allows space on the outside, and those are usually the easiest seats to find. So maybe we can find room for everyone. Thank you. Would you join me in the call to worship? Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus, that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we are privileged to come once again into your house. And the beginning of the calendar year is a huge reminder, Lord, that you teach us in cycles, that things have beginnings, that things have ends. Lord, and we are at the beginning of a new year. Lord, I pray that we would sense the invitation we have from you for a new beginning in some area of our lives. Lord, perhaps a new place of victory in a place that has been defeat. Perhaps a a new area of forgiveness in a place, uh, an old grudge. Um, Lord, perhaps a new relationship, a new opportunity for ministry, whatever it is, Lord, there is an invitation from you at this time, Lord, uh, for a a new beginning with you. And we thank you for it. We pray that we would be open to the words of your your spirit and to the pastor this morning, to your scripture and to the music, um, in all the ways that you want to speak to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand for hymn 75? I'll hail the power of Jesus' name.
1: Amen. So great to see you as we gather for worship this morning and we especially welcome those of you who uh, may be guests here this morning and those of you who are back in town after the holidays. It's uh, great to have you in worship this morning. I would invite you to share a word of greeting with others who are here today. A word of peace with one another. Just a, a couple of things to bring to your attention, things that are in the bulletin. Uh, Wednesday evening, our ministries start back up again for children and adults, and you see information about that. Next Sunday morning, we go back to our regular worship schedule of services at 8:20, 9:40, and 11. And uh, next Sunday evening, we will be having a service of, of Christian baptism. And if you are interested in being baptized, uh, let me know this week, and uh, we'll have a class Uh, The first part of this week, so you want to let me know probably tomorrow, and uh, we'll get the class in order to prepare you for being baptized. Also, there's an insert in your bulletin about Sunday school that starts up again next week and small groups. Uh, One correction, the uh, small group for the Youngs, actual meeting at Jack and Linda Lex's home instead of uh, Paul and Debbie Young's. So please take note of that.
0: Our Old Testament reading is t- is taken from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. The word of the Lord. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face The name you shall call me from generation to generation. The word of the Lord.
1: Please join me in the prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. God of mercy, we begin this new year with a passion to know you. Forgive us that in the past year the noise of our world so often made us deaf to your words of love. Forgive us when in the past year we allowed the busyness of our lives to minimize our thoughts of your life-giving grace. Forgive us that in the past year the attraction of what we might possess too often turned our attention away from the gift of joy you offer us. Today, help us to hear your words of pardon, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will fill us with an ever-growing joy in surrendering all that we are to you. Amen.
2: Please stand and join us as we continue in worship together. Destined to die
3: Poured out for all mankind God's only Son
2: The ushers forward to assist us with our tithes and offerings, and let's sing the glory of Patri together. Holy Father, the great I am, the ruler of the universe, you have touched each of our lives, and we love you. We ask that you would give us hearts of gratitude and thanks as we give back just a bit of all that you have given to us. Amen. You may be seated.
3: to come, I am. The one who walked in water, I am. The one who calmed the
1: the I Am who calls us and invites us to come and to pray. As we pray this morning, it's been a practice for a while, to open the altar rail. If you would like to uh, come and offer your prayers here at the altar rail, please come and join me. Eternal God, your majesty is beyond our comprehension. Your love is is so broad and deep and high and long that we cannot truly imagine it. And yet, in your greatness, in your love, and your power, you call us to yourself. And you invite us to come before you and to bear our souls and our hearts to you. Father, we pray for your grace at work in this world. We pray, Father, that you will, through your Spirit, hover over those places of special need, places of great human suffering, conflict, war. Father, in this world, there is so much need. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering for their faith in you. We think especially of this dear brother and sister in Kurdistan, who are facing great persecution simply because they have chosen to follow Christ. We pray for your protection and your healing, for courage, and for the power of your spirit through their witness that others may see your great love and mercy the transforming power of your grace and be drawn to you father we pray for the ongoing ministry of 103 particularly the ministry in Nigeria we ask father that you will continue to bless all those who are in leadership, and we think especially of the Petrillos and the Szymanskis and their whole team. Father, we think about this ministry in Nigeria and the great things that have happened, and we pray that you will continue to use them in powerful ways. Father, we think about the, the difficulties of ministry in Nigeria right now, the terrorist attacks, the threats, the bombings, We pray for those who are grieving. We ask for your grace and your power to overcome the evil that is growing and so prevalent there. We think about the attack in Paris this week and the grief there. And we pray that that when there is such a deep desire for revenge that your people will be a voice of compassion, a voice of love, a voice of reason. And we pray that even through this tragedy, your spirit will be in evidence, bringing healing and grace and mercy and peace. Father, we pray for our own lives. We pray for comfort and peace in the midst of our grief and pain and loss. We pray for your healing power upon all who are struggling with illness. We think especially today of Jill Tyson and Priscilla Waltz. We pray for Vesta Mullen and Tim Nichols, for Bruce Brenneman and Bill Roski. Pray for your healing grace on Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Alton Shea, for Isla Shea, Dick Gould, for Edna Howard and Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and for others who are on our minds today. Pour out your spirit of healing in each of them. Father, we pray for us as we embark on this new semester. We pray for your grace upon each of us, whether we are involved in an educational institution or not. In this new year, we pray for courage and faith and trust. We pray that you will work miraculously in each of our lives. That when we come to this point next year, we will sense your spirit working in us, making us more committed, more loving, more gracious. We would see more of the fruit of your spirit in each of our lives. Father, thank you for your blessings. They are beyond counting. It's because of what you've done, because of all that you have promised, because of who you are, that we offer our prayer through the power and presence of Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory
2: forever. Amen. Let us stand together now and sing hymn number 86, My Jesus, I Love Thee. And children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church.
4: obey my teaching you are really my disciples you will know the truth and the truth will set you free we are the descendants of abraham and we have never been anybody's slaves what do you mean then by saying you will be free i am telling you the truth everyone who sins is a slave of sin a slave does not belong to a family permanently but a son belongs there forever if the son sets you free then you will be really free I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are trying to kill me because you will not accept my teaching. I talk about what my father has shown me, but you do what your father has told you. My father is Abraham. Abraham. If you really were Abraham's children, you would do the same things that he did. All I have ever done is to tell you the truth I heard from God, yet you are trying to kill me. Abraham did nothing like this. You were doing what your father did. God himself is the only father we have, and we are his true children. If God really were your father, you would love me, because I came from God, and now I am here. I did not come on my own authority, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to listen to my message. You are the children of your father, the devil. And you want to follow your father's desires. From the very beginning, he was a murderer and has never been on the side of truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he is only doing what is natural to him because he is a liar and the father of all lies. But I tell the truth, and that is why you do not believe me. Which one of you can prove ...that I am guilty of sin. If I tell the truth, then why do you not believe me? He who comes from God listens to God's words. You, however, are not from God. And that is why you will not listen. Were we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan... ...and have a demon in you? I have a no demon. I honor my father, but you dishonor me. I am not seeking honor for myself... But there is one who is seeking it and who judges in my favor. I am telling you the truth. Whoever obeys my teaching will never die. Now we know for sure that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets died. Yet you say that whoever obeys your teaching will never die. Our father Abraham died. You do not claim to be greater than Abraham, do you? And the prophets also died. Who do you think you are? If I were to honor myself, that honor would be worth nothing. The one who honors me is my father. The very one you say is your God. You have never known him, but I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I obey his word. Your father, Abram, rejoiced that he was to see the time of my coming. He saw it and was glad. You're not even 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham. (laughs) I am telling you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am...
2: Then they picked up stones to throw at him.
1: Jesus hid himself and left the temple. Great truths that's difficult for us to comprehend is that God's design for us, why he created us, is to experience fullness of life in him. Over and over again, the scriptures tell us God created us to experience the fullness of who he is. Relationship with him, his love, his mercy, his grace, his joy, his truth. But we struggle to believe that because of our sinful natures, because we live in a world of pain and difficulties and struggles. Life is hard, life doesn't end up the way we want it to. People hurt us, we hurt people. And all of these things create in us a a doubt about whether God is who he says he is, that God's plan and desire is what he says it is for us. And so throughout the scriptures, he's continually revealing himself, as the God who is who he says he is. And Jesus comes to reveal that in the most profound way to us. And the season of Epiphany, this time, this, the word Epiphany means manifestation, revelation. And Jesus comes to reveal to us the fullness of who God is. Not just so we can know who he is, but so that we can experience in our lives what he desires and created us to experience. One of the ways in which Jesus reveals that is through his his self-declatory statements. These statements where he says, I am this, I am this, I am this. And that begins and is focused right here in this passage that we've just seen on the screens played out for us. From John chapter 8. Jesus there at the temple. With a lot of people. Some Jewish people. Some of the religious leaders. And they are having this discussion. And it gets pretty volatile. I mean you know. Jesus says you're children of the devil. They're saying Jesus you're demon possessed. I love the way this this, uh, drama. Depicts the disciples standing there. You can see the look in their faces. Like Jesus what are you doing here. Uh, We're outnumbered. They've got a lot of stones. These people are, these guys are strong. You you can see their eyes going, "Uh, what's happening here? And Jesus just keeps raising the ante of this conversation they have with each other. Until he says to them, if you believed in me and those who believe in me will never see death. And they say to Jesus, what are you talking about? What do you mean never see death? Abraham died, the prophets died, all of the great people of God died. And you're saying people who believe in you will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? Jesus says, well, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham got pretty excited thinking about me coming into the world. And in fact, when he witnessed it, he was ecstatic. And they're saying, what? You're not even 50 years old. And you saw Abraham who lived 2,000 years ago? What are you talking about? You're a fool. You're an idiot. What do you mean? And Jesus says, let me put it this way. Before Abraham was even born, I am. And they pick up stones to kill him. They have to wonder Why in the world, that little phrase, I mean, it seems to me he said a lot more volatile things before that, calling them children of the devil, than to simply say, before Abraham was, I am. Why does that get them so angry? Why do they pick up stones to stone him? Because they understand what he's saying. They understand, the minute they hear Jesus speak those words, I am, their minds race back to the third chapter of Exodus that we read earlier. Moses in the burning bush, he has this encounter with God, and God says to Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and to be the the person to bring my people out of slavery, out of bondage. You're my man. And Moses, who's scared to death about this, says, okay, if I go and I tell the Israelites, God said, I'm here to rescue you. Who do I tell them sent me? And God says, I am who I am. You tell them, I am sent me to you. And he says, this is my name by which I will be known from now on, I am. In Greek, it is the phrase ego eimi. Jesus says, before Abraham was, ego eimi, I am. In Hebrew, it's what we figured out, the Jews finally figured out the word, what we use the term Yahweh. It is such a personal Precious name to the Jews; they don't even pronounce it. In our English Bibles, it's typically capital L O R D, Lord. It's capitalized. You see that phrase over and over again. It is the personal name of God. There is an intimacy to this name, so much so that we don't they don't talk, they don't use that name for God. It's too personal. It's too holy. This name describes God who is indescribable. This name refers to the God who is the creator, the almighty, all-powerful, the holy one. This is the God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who created the earth. The God who who spoke to Abraham. The God who promised to Abraham. The God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt. The God who parted the Red Sea. The God who established David and his throne. The God before whom all people on the earth bow in worship. This is the God for whom there is no other. The God who is completely other than any human being. And Jesus says, I am that God. No wonder they pick up stones to throw at him. We think of the most holy person you can imagine. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, I don't know. The most holy person you can imagine. As awesome as they are, what would you think if they said, I am God. That would disturb us. You know, we get pretty impatient with these religious leaders and with the Jewish people. This is a huge smack across the side of their heads for Jesus to say this. Philip Yancey talks about Jesus' claim to be God. And he says it is, it is such a radical thing for him to do this. You can't imagine in any other religions. You can't imagine any any Muslim believing that, or being comfortable with the fact that even Muhammad himself would claim to be Allah, or a or a Jew believing that Moses claimed to be Yahweh. It's not a part of any other religion. And yet here is Jesus saying he is God. And it's foundational to our theology and our faith that Jesus is fully God, fully human. We've just celebrated Christmas and the coming of Christ into the world as this human being and fully human. And now Jesus is declaring he is fully God, the God, Yahweh. Brings us back to what Lewis said in Mere Christianity that, you know, Jesus making the claims that he does, he can't just be a great moral teacher, as some people want to say that he is. The heresies through the ages have been typically either Jesus is, is fully God, but not really human. He's just sort of a ghost, or he appeared to be human. Or the other side of it, that he is fully human, but he's not really God. He's just this great teacher. And Lewis says it's impossible to take Jesus at his word, He said, he he either has to be who he says he is or is a lunatic, like in the way of someone who's saying that they're a poached egg. Or is it the devil of hell? He said, but you got to choose. Either he is who he says he is, the son of God, or he is this raving lunatic. And people want to say, well, he's not one or the other, but the, the Jews understand what he's saying. It's clear to them that he is declaring himself to be God. And it's blasphemy to them. I was talking with someone about this recently. And they were saying, do the Jews believe that they're right? Or are they just being obstinate? I I think they believe that they are right. In, In the same way that Fred Phelps and the people of Westboro Baptist Church believe that they are right to print anti-gay slogans on placards and picket at the funerals of soldiers. They believe they're defending the truth. They believe that they are defending God. They believe that they are right. And we look at that and we think it's appalling. But the Jewish leaders are saying, you've got to have some rules this is what we've been we believe all of our lives and now for someone to come along and to say that that they are reinterpreting or they are they are fulfilling what we have been believing and they're they're putting cracks in the walls we've created we can't handle that it can't be so it's interesting to me that this story this dialogue is bookended with two stories about Two people who are completely different than the religious leaders. At the beginning of John chapter 8, you have the story of a woman caught in adultery. At the beginning of chapter 9, you have the story of a man who's been born blind. Both of these people are outcasts in the culture, in the temple. Both of these people are considered not just insignificant, but cursed by God. No one sees anything good in either of these people. That's why they are who they are. And yet, when Jesus encounters these two people, they are open to him and are transformed. While the conversation that takes place in between with the people who ought to know better, the people who who breathe the very air of the temple, these people dig in their heels And put up barriers and even threaten to kill Jesus. It's ironic. And it says something to me about about the way we approach the, the surprising ways in which God speaks into our lives. See, most of us here, and this is the scary thing, most of us here, if we're honest, have to realize we identify a lot more with the religious leaders who are having this conversation with Jesus than with the two people who book in the story. Most of us have a relationship with Christ, have an affinity to Christ or have a, have a sense of wanting to be followers of Christ. And my question that I've been, the question I've been asking myself and the question I'm asking you is as we walk and journey with Christ and as we establish what we believe and how we live as followers of Christ, is there any place in this for God to speak into our lives in ways that might surprise us? that might challenge us so that we can experience the fullness of God that he desires for us. Someone was telling me recently about a friend who, I think made a posting on Facebook, that they they said that they have, they try to go into every conversation with someone with a mindset that at some point, in their day and in their lives, they're going to be proven wrong about something they they feel strongly about. And so they go into every conversation thinking, this, is this the moment when I'm going to be proved wrong? And especially when conversations get a little bit volatile, they're trying to think, trying to have a mindset that says, is, is this the moment when actually that person's right and I'm not? And there's something of that spirit in what we see in this story. See, I'm convinced that if we are going to experience the fullness of God's life that he desires for us, it begins with us having a willingness to acknowledge our brokenness, our sinfulness, that we have not arrived completely that we don't know everything there is to know, that we haven't figured out everything that there is to figure out. And on the surface, we might right away say, well, of course, there's always more to learn. But let's be honest about how we live and about what we believe. We, we dig our heels in pretty strongly that this is right. And there is no other way of thinking about it. You look at this story, and in the first part of, of this dialogue, Jesus says to these people, uh, the truth will, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And their response is defensiveness. You know, that's what we tend to do. We get backed against the wall, and, and people are challenging our beliefs, and, and we're wrestling with how to answer, and we're feeling sort of like, uh, maybe they're right, or maybe wrong. What do we do? We tend to get defensive. And when we get defensive, we tend to exaggerate and maybe even worse. And it's exactly what they do. They get back against the wall and they say to Jesus, what are you talking about setting us free? We're not in bondage. In fact, they say, we have never been in bondage. Well, that's a head scratcher. Really? I mean, did you, do, you, do you remember Egypt at all? 400 years, slavery, pyramids, all those things? Do you remember that? I mean, do you remember the exile when you were led but with rings in your noses to Babylon for 70 years? Quite frankly, look around. There were Roman soldiers posted all around this place watching you work. You've never been in bondage? And we laugh at that, but we think, but let's be honest. How many times do we say, oh, I'm fine. Nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. They're the ones that have problem, not me, not my issue we will never experience the fullness of god's life in us until we are able to acknowledge that we don't know everything that we are broken people that we wrestle with sin that god always has more and more to do in our lives that we haven't arrived and we've been sometimes we've been taught through the ages that holiness means we've arrived holiness means we figured it out we're perfect Everything is done. I am convinced the most holy people are the people who acknowledge their brokenness. It's one of the reasons why we put in our vision statement on those bookmarks that when the Holy Spirit makes us the church that we believe we are intended to be, one of the things that we will see as the Holy Spirit works in us, is that we as a congregation will acknowledge our personal and corporate brokenness. Holy people are not arrogant. We're humble because we know who we are and we know how much we need Christ. Craig Barnes says that one of the most important functions of the church is the role of forcing us to confront the truth about ourselves. Individually and corporately. And you look at the story and you see that these are people Jesus is encountering who don't want to acknowledge that. And what ends up happening? And you look at the stories in the Gospels and every single person who is transformed by Jesus, acknowledges their need. That's not a coincidence. But I also think that the opposite side of that is, it's not just acknowledging our need, but it's living with a spirit of openness and being willing to allow God to speak into our lives in any way he chooses to through anyone he chooses to, at any time and anywhere, that we have such a spirit of openness to, this, to God speaking into our lives that we're always looking for him, always thinking about him. Now, again, I, listen, I'm not talking about living with a spirit of relativism. You know, everything is relative. We just sort of, you know, there, there are no absolutes. That's not what I'm talking about at all. There are there are core truths that we see in Scripture that are essential and, and we don't budge on those things. They're, they're essential to us. But I suspect for most of us, there are probably fewer of those than we often want to admit. And I also find that too often, the things that we are most dogmatic about are not the core things, they're the peripheral things. How we live our lives, how we worship, some of the ways in which we, we embrace and, and, and talk about our theology. Do we live with a spirit of prayerful openness? To God, That whoever God might want to bring into our lives, however unlikely they may be, that God may want to speak to us through them. In fact, I think, if you think about the person or the circumstance that you would say is the least likely to ever have anything to say to you about God or to teach you or to challenge you my guess is there's a good chance that's exactly the person or the circumstance through which God wants to speak to you, as he does me. Because it tests our willingness to be open to however God wants to work and through whomever God wants to work. And that's the spirit of openness that we're called to as followers of Jesus. Are we willing to let him do that? Speak into our lives. You know, as I was reading this story, I was thinking about, you know, these stones that they pick up to throw at Jesus. How, where do these stones come from? And I think the video was right. I think the temple is probably in a state of construction, probably almost all the time. And, and these stones that they pick up are, are probably the stones that are part of the construction process. And isn't it interesting that the stones that are intended to be used to build God's temple are instead used in an attempt to kill God's son? And the more I thought about that, the more I began to contemplate the metaphor that 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 is for our lives. Because I think there are things that God gives us, things that are intended to, as means of worship, building the kingdom, that we use to tear down and to destroy. When you think about the gift of Scripture, Scripture that is given to us so that we can know God and understand God and know what it means to live for God. How often do we use Scripture as a club to beat people with? How often do we use Scripture to justify our behavior that isn't like Christ? We use Scripture to tear down and to divide instead of to unify and to build up and to encourage and to, and to establish the kingdom and the church and God's presence and it becomes a stone that instead of we use using it to build, we use to tear down. About worship. You know, worship, God's gift that we use that to help us know him and to to praise him and to learn from him. How often does worship become something divisive instead of unifying? I mean, I mean, you, think about the different styles of worship. Maybe your thing is tradition and you love the traditional kinds of worship and you, maybe your style is contemporary and maybe coming together in a service like this is really hard for you because what you really want is what you want out of worship. And I want it to be the way I want it to be, and I don't like blending it, and I don't like hearing contemporary music, or I don't like hearing the organ, or I don't like the, the style of the worship. And it's a great challenge to to come together, and I want to commend you for being willing to do that. But through the history, I mean, it's sad that one of the terms that has worked its way into the church is worship wars. I mean, talk about oxymoron. But it's a stone that we throw instead of a stone we use to build. And we can go on and on, our theological perspectives. You know, I I believe this way. You believe that way. So therefore, we really have nothing to teach each other. We're just going to fight with each other about it. Instead of, we may see things differently, but I'm sure you're biblical as I'm trying to be biblical. And I know there are things you can teach me and maybe there's things I can teach you. It's that spirit of openness. And instead of throwing stones, we use them to build. As I was reading through this passage again this week, verse 37 just struck me. I've read this passage many, many times. I never saw this before. But verse 37, Jesus says to them, you're trying to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. And I thought, wow. And I asked myself the question, as I get so wrapped up in what I believe, so wrapped up in how I think the faith should look. So wrapped up in how I practice my faith and how I live and what I think is right and what I'm sure is wrong, do I have any room in my life for the surprising, challenging, unsuspecting ways in which God wants to speak to me? Do you? I'm convinced that the difference between stones that build and stones that tear down and throw and injure is having room in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds for Christ, the word of God. And again, I'm not talking about everything is relative. Please hear me. I'm not saying that. But I am convinced that if we're ever going to experience the fullness of God in our lives, as we were created to experience this fullness of joy and peace and love that comes from God, it will mean that we surrender. That we live with the spirit of prayerful openness. Continually asking God, what do you want to teach me through this person? What do you want to teach me through this circumstance? What do you want to teach me through this this idea that I'm unfamiliar with or that I I don't really want to acknowledge might have anything to say to me. And it doesn't mean that we agree about everything. It just simply means That we live with the spirit of prayerful openness to God. Because my prayer for me, my prayer for you, is that we would know the fullness of life in Christ. That we would look a whole lot more like the people who are transformed by Christ instead of the people who pick up stones to throw at Christ. So in this moment of contemplation and meditation, as you think about the gifts, the stones that God has given to you to build, to encourage, to grow. Do you have this spirit of surrender, openness to whatever, whomever, however God may want to speak to you and to me? In this moment of silence, let listen to God. Heavenly Father, we believe that the truth will indeed set us free. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And we confess how often we live lives that are closed to you. Your spirit. We want to control life instead of letting you control us. We want comfortable and safe, and you are mysterious and surprising. we so often settle for small lives and you want to fill us with Christ who is the life. So give us grace to have room in our hearts and our lives, our minds for you. That our stones may build as you intend. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.
2: Please stand and join us as we sing together. These words taken from the first chapter of Ephesians.